Well, what a wonderful hymn to start off this morning's worship of God in spirit and truth. As our first message of the month, we're going to be dealing with an aspect of theology. And it's uh, been for the last several uh, months on this first message of the first Sunday. Been dealing with the doctrine of God. And today we're going to deal with God's wisdom. God's wisdom. Now, in my introduction, and you see on the board as to, I asked the question, why? Why is the study of the doctrine of God important? Why today um, an emphasis on the question of why the continued study of theology and the doctrine of God is important? Well, it may seem like I'm going to go on a little bit of a rabbit trail. It may seem like I'm blending uh, church history in with you know, what our purposes are today. But this has been something I've been doing a little study on, something I've been doing a little research on, and I think it will be beneficial in helping a lot of us, especially those who are parents in here, especially those that are around 35 years or older, um, who are all looking around at the society around us, and we're saying, you know what, Toto, I don't believe we're in Kansas anymore. For instance, I was listening to the radio this week while driving around for work, making deliveries, and I actually listened to about 10 minutes of an interview where a senator, I may get this wrong, I believe he was from uh, one of the southern states, I don't remember which one, but he was being challenged on a serious intellectual level, if you would allow that term, with the person interviewing him, challenging him, being very pointed, trying to break down his argument as to why he takes a stand, a political stand, for a piece of legislation that's being decided on, I believe on a federal level, um, as to why he actually has the audacity to believe that a teenage boy who is dressed like a girl uh, has a physical advantage in, in sports over a real girl his same age. And so this poor old chap, he's talking and he's saying, you know, and he's trying to sound all politically correct and, you know, he's trying to, well, just... Trying to make it acceptable, what he's saying. When what he's saying is just plain truth. It's not rocket science, is it? He's saying, you know, things like, well, it, it's just hard for us to biologically demonstrate that, you know, someone who has more muscle mass and you know, he's laying out the case, you know, who's got hair on his back and hair on his legs and is three, six, ten inches taller than a female that's his same age how we really cannot logically deduce the fact that he has a tremendous advantage. And it's going to be, well, unfair to her. And you know what the response was? Well, isn't it kind of unfair to who you're calling a boy who's actually a girl? Isn't it unfair to him because he wants to participate with other girls because he's a girl? And they go around in a circle like this for five or ten minutes and I shut it off and I said we are in big trouble how in the world can we actually be having conversations on any serious level 
about this type of foolishness? Well, the reason is, as you see on the board, why the study of God, why as Christians in the evangelical church today, we have to be prepared with who God truly is of Scripture. Because we are moving for those of us who are parents, who are raised in a postmodern era, we are going beyond postmodernism to an all-new territory, an all-new territory of philosophy and humanism of how to govern ourselves as mankind. Some of the phrases for this new era of time that we are now in, it's been coming for a little while, uh, but now it's full force. And you're going to see much more of this over the next 10 and 20 years. Some have called it remodernism. Some have called it uh, performatism. And I think this one may be just a little bit more accurately a description. Metamodernism. Postmodernism, where all of us in here were grown up kids, your parents, we grew up in a context for those of us who went to public schools, uh, where a lot of the uh, postmodern culture was advocated to us through music, through films, through academia, through teachings. And postmodernism, over the last 60, 75 years, had a message in culture that most of your parents are grown up have been raised in, and it was this. God's dead. Old traditionalism is dead. Mankind doesn't need God. That's a crutch. Religion's a crutch. And mankind really just, you know what, needs to eat, drink, and, and be merry and happy. And this is why there was such, for a long period of time, this empty, shallow materialism that a lot of us that are here that are older, we grew up in. And, and, you know, it was just so cheesy. There was no meaning in life. It was just all materialistic. No one took anything serious, did they? I certainly didn't uh, as a product and a child of postmodernism. But by God's grace, for those of us who are here today who are children of postmodernism, he opened our eyes to the truth of the world we live in, the truth of our existence. And we saw, and we started, at least for myself, I started searching for truth. There had to be something deeper, something more than what the nihilists were telling me who were all propagating postmodernism. While that thing entertained my flesh for a season, God, by His grace, began to open my mind to the truth that there's something more out there than just this one dimension that postmodernism was articulating through human philosophy of how to view ourselves as mankind. Meaning that we're just down here on earth, one plane. There's no terrestrial, there's no celestial, there's nothing outside of ourselves, right? Postmodernism thought, if we could just help ourselves as mankind see and give up these crutches, we all can arrive to this, well, this semblance of utopia to where we all just kind of get along because if there's really nothing, Brother Mark, beyond this life, then I can't fundamentally say that the dogmatism of my religion is better than yours. And so the postmodernists, through the discipling of the generations, wanted to try to convince all of them, question everything, there is no more truth. In fact, you don't need to be dogmatic or take anything serious. Just have an apathetic, you know, who cares about what's true. What's true for you, young lady, is good for you, and for you is good for you. That was postmodern's dream, that we all could kind of just get along because there's no truth, and we all admit there's no truth. But something happened, didn't it? 
Something's happened that's manifesting itself and it's just waiting for a match to be thrown on it and it's going to explode. We see in our generation, particularly in the West, Europe and in America, postmodernism has not achieved that. In fact, as postmodernism was telling all of us, reject the micro-narrative, this narrative of history. Everybody has their own. There's no truth behind any of them. Reject that overarching narrative. What it's produced is thousands of small macro-narratives. And this is clashing in the streets. There's those who, uh, in the West particularly, are saying, no, 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 no. We know what truth is and and we're not going to relinquish it. We'll be willing to go to prison for it. Uh, We're standing, some of us more than others, in the streets with the protesters and having shouting matches, right? And there's blood being shed. We saw down in uh, one of the southern uh, uh, states of the United States where they were having the BLM protest and a guy who, again... He holds to a particular macro-narrative of the Western understanding of his identity. He took a car and he plowed it all the way through because he says, you're not going to foist your macro-narrative, your rebranding of a narrative about your existing, your understanding of society, so forth and so on, upon me. Because that's what's happening. Those who have control over propaganda machines, what are they saying? There's no tolerance for any other narrative except for our narrative. Well, it's interesting that many of those that have come out of postmodernism, and we're going to say the grandchildren of postmodernism, this is the, the teens, the collegiate age people, they're no longer articulating a message that there's nothing beyond this physical world. Uh, they're beginning to articulate that, you know what, we need to return to the idea that there could be dimensionality to our existence as humans. One of the patriarchs of postmodernism, uh, Hoy Head now, he sees all these macro-narratives clashing as for decades he's been telling people and his cronies been telling everyone there's nothing beyond this life. He says, wait a minute, it's produced all these factions and it's, there's not utopia. You know what? Uh, postmodernism didn't fail. It was just a stepping stone to go beyond postmodernism into a new philosophy of how to govern ourselves to where we do have to, with a lowercase, a lowercase letter, understand that we can use words like truth. We can use words like trust. We can use words like spirit. However, not in the sense of the pre-modern era. Pre-modern era. So what's happened, guys, is that in this metamodernism that's willing to see that there are other metaphysical phenomena to the human existence, is they're beginning to realize that um, there is something more than just a bunch of dust particles animated, you know, by chance, time, and space that are bumping into one another. There's actually more to that. And and, and the reason we know there's more to that is because we care, even though we're not part of the traditional Western narrative, we care about certain things. What grounds by which, there was a brother in the church this week that had a conversation, you'll you'll see this, uh, with a man uh, that he worked with who claimed, 
again, I guarantee you, uh, Colin, that that guy was uh, a child, a grandchild of postmodernism. And Colin was challenging him and saying, but well, what grounds do you say what's wrong or right? If you're an atheist, you don't believe there's anything, you know, outside of our existence as man. And the guy was stumbling, of course, about that because he knew he had a problem. And so the grandchildren of postmodernism in this metamodernism period that you now are, are experiencing, they've realized, you know what, uh, there is something to the human existence. We can't talk about what's true and uh, what's right. And we could talk about spirit and we could talk about trust. But with soft universal terms, soft universal terms, and they're going to try to here in the coming decades define that. And what are they doing, beloved? What they're trying to do is play the same old tune, right? To, I mean, how, how would you say that? They're trying to uh, uh, write a new song to an old tune. Ever since Nimrod, ever since the fall of Babel, there has been mankind trying to come up with different ways to answer the question of who we are as mankind, our existence, and our relationship with the world around us. Is there a creator? Is there not a creator? All of that to say, as this generation, in these radio interviews, brother, people you're interacting with at work, are wanting you to pull your hair out because no longer do we have a culture that interacts based on our tradition of having reason, logic, and evidence to settle our differences. That's flown out the window and it causes you to pull your hair out. You have to understand that these people are taking a step in a direction that is admitting there is something more than just dust and particles on this dimension we live on now. Now, with that said, we therefore as the Christian church can't come to these people and really engage with these people with this shallow, fluffy understanding of the God, Yahweh, Creator. Beloved, we have to understand the doctrines of God. We have to understand the doctrines of Christ. Because believe me, there are a remnant in these masses of metamodernists who are searching. Searching. Now, we know, and I'm not advocating we're going to bring them into the kingdom of Christ kicking and screaming by our clever arguments and our, you know what I'm saying, oratorical skills about how well we can articulate the doctrines of God. Uh, we're going to do that by the power of the Spirit through the preaching of the Gospel and the testimony of our lives. We know this. However, this is why all this is important. This is why this is all important. And that's the, the big picture, young people in the church, of, of, of what's going on. That's the big picture. That's the challenge that's resting on you, the peers that you may interact with in certain spheres and circles. Um, appeal to their conscience, which created the image of God, is organically not content with the, their father's postmodernism. They're not content with it. That's who's demonstrating out here on these streets. For a large part. Some, some of them. Not, not all of them. Well, let's get here now to our class with that. I hope I didn't exasperate you with that long introduction about why this is so important that the context, the era we live in as Christians. Let's start with an introduction of what we mean by God's wisdom. God's wisdom, when we speak of God's wisdom, 
is not just an attribute of God. We know it's an attribute. We know that that's one of his perfections. We know that it, it, since it is something that God possesses and he has, it has to be eternal. It has to be that which we've already talked about, something that cannot change. But it also in the Bible designates a person. So the scriptures present wisdom, yes, as a, uh, an attribute of God that's eternal, but also it presents wisdom as a person. And this is going to blow your mind when we get to the end of, of that part. Now, let's talk about something that's essential to understanding the significance of this wisdom that we're talking about today. Well, as I said, it's both a person, but also the word wisdom means the ability to apply a skill or knowledge. So we're talking about God's ability to apply His knowledge which we've already covered this, is all-knowing, is omniscience, and his power, his ability to do all things, in a perfect way. In the Old Testament, many people were described as being wise in the particular craft or trade that they did. So there would be a carpenter, you know, and uh, Jacob, you could say... Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, but you know, think of a Hebrew name. I'm I lost for Hebrew names. I'm so horrible off the cuff with those names. Uh, you know, Jacob or whatever. He is wise in wood, or he's wise in the craft of metals. You know, of what he could do. And so, we sometimes don't think about that when we think about God. You know, His wisdom. God's wisdom is His skill, His perfect ability to apply power and to all knowledge that he and he alone possesses. Isn't it neat to watch someone who's wise in a particular trade? I'll get out on the job site sometimes and I watch some guys work and they know how to apply all the tricks to get something looking perfect, you know? And then other guys like me, it would take me a month to get it to look like that. Why? Because I don't have the wisdom. Oh, but God's wisdom is so beyond transcendent anything that man could ever hope to apply. And just think about this, Brother Scott. His knowledge of absolutely every molecule, what it does, how it works, he invented it, he created it, he can apply it perfectly. He's a craftsman. He has the skill, the knowledge, and the power to execute all things. Wisdom as a divine perfection or attribute, it highlights, doesn't it, in that sense, God's infinite ability to do whatever is appropriate for God to do. Oh, dear friend, who's stumbling over as you're talking to someone this idea of, you know, well, how could this happen? How could that happen? First, you know, you work with them and you show them, don't you? Do you not? That your evolutionary worldview and framework, it doesn't have the complete answer to, but let me talk to you about this infinitely wise God. Not that he's a, a wise old chap who knows all the Britannica encyclopedias. No, friend, I'm talking about wisdom and skill and ability. This being of divine deity who can and will and knows how to execute all things. Quit putting him in your brain box as a little man. Talk to them about the one true God of Scripture. This is essential to understand when we come to this conversation about God's wisdom. It's about his ability, his skill, but also understanding that wisdom is a person, which we'll look at next. Let's let's consider then his skill and his ability just for a brief second. 
Um, we're moving into the works of his operation of wisdom. And you see some uh, scriptures on the board there. So just so for the sake of time, uh, let's assign some of these scriptures. Uh, Brother Mark, I don't know why up here. I always go counterclockwise. So Brother Mark, uh, you go to Proverbs 3.19. Be ready to read that for us when we get there. And uh, Colin, you do Ecclesiastes 1, 6 through 7. And of course, I'm sign, uh, signing these. This is always a dangerous part. And you're up here, you don't have a pen, then you, you get to the verse. So when we get to the verse, brothers, you just holler out so I don't have to remember who had them. And Brother Scott, uh, good to have you in here this morning with us. You, you read Proverbs 15, 11, and 16 too, okay? So you brothers be ready when you're called on. So let's, let's consider this aspect of God's wisdom in His works or His skill or His ability. Right? To apply things. The operations of God's wisdom occur principally in His works of creation and providence. So that's one of our greatest allies when we're sharing something about God's wisdom. And I have yet to meet a non-believer who will at least not pause and recognize that there is objective beauty in creation. And this is why they have the tourist attractions they like to flock to. Because they look at that and they know, you know what, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, that's a principal work of God. Romans 1 talks about this. Creation is, in fact, a unique divine activity of God's wisdom. And it gives evidence of His infinite power to bring His purpose and His plan into fruition just as He has ordained it. The Word of God speaks to this, Brother Mark, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19. His wisdom applied in creation. By the Lord's wisdom, His skill and ability, He founded, fashioned, established the earth. With infinite skill and ability, He spoke the world into existence. Providence is the ongoing work now of God's infinite wisdom by which He is what? Governing this celestial ball called the earth that His ability, His wisdom brought into existence. And it's God's wise providence that extends all to its continual order that applies to the oceans, that applies to the winds, that applies to the weather, and according to the book of Job, even to animal migration. How sad to look at all of this perfect, you could say mechanism, working just succinctly together and miss the Creator God of all wisdom who made it and sustains it. Ecclesiastes 1, 6-7 witnesses to this fact. Uh, Brother Colin, you have that verse. The wind goeth toward the south and turneth about unto the north. It whirleth about continually and the wind returneth again according to his service. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. Oh, poor lost soul. (laughs) Our book has an answer of this stuff that you see all around you. And at times, some of you want to worship more than humankind and you want to protect more than unborn babies. Look, point them to the God who has created all of this and who sustains all of this in His perfect wisdom. God's wisdom, again, is reflected in the world that He has created all around us. But it also... And concludes in his wisdom, his providence about the motives of mankind, the moral order 
that is going on. Because some of us can sometimes look around and say, boy, it just seems like God's not plugged in at all. I mean, how could this person actually be thinking and having this conversation, you know, about letting boys in collegiate sports compete against girls and think that it's really right? Well, God knows they're doing that. And in his wisdom, in his application of man's motives, he's going to use it. Beloved, I don't know. It's mysterious to me. Right now, I'm sitting back and I'm going, Lord, I know your hands are on the wheel, right? And I'm not going to quote some cheesy song here, but, but you get the point. I know his hands are on the wheel, beloved. And, but I don't know which way he's going to turn here because I would not have taken the car down this road, right? But the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us he knows and he controls the motivations of men. Scott, you have a powerful testimony from Proverbs 15, 11, and 16, 2 that witnesses that. Go ahead and read that. Yeah, 15, 11 says, Hell Yeah, and so in understanding God's perfect execution of his skill and ability, i.e. his wisdom, um, Job kind of challenged God about that in a nagging way. Not, you know, I, I, I don't like it when preachers really kind of rag roll down on Job. I think you have to acknowledge his sufferings, but acknowledge too that he was a righteous man and put yourself in his shoes. You, you might not have been having a good day. You'd been a grumpy Christian too that day. But he, he challenged God and the Lord challenged Job. Job, do you want to sit on the throne? Job, do you, uh, can you sit on the throne? And, and can you testify that you have created and you can do all of these wondrous things that I have done? In other words, he was putting Job in his place, right? Because we can at times question the wisdom of God, the application of his ability and his providence and we begin to think, you know, that we know better. Oh, hush your lips. Let us just watch. Let us be prayerful, expectant to how he's going to execute his wisdom. The workings of providence are, as I said just a moment ago, mysterious. In the book of Job, just talking about him, chapter 28, verses 20 and 21. The Lord said, Whence cometh wisdom? It is hid from the eyes of all living. Beloved, God's wisdom knows what is best. His application of his knowledge and of his power, understanding the motives of all men's heart, is what we must trust in. We must trust in him. Romans 8.28, many of you know this. You've fallen back on this time and time again when the chaos of your own life, the chaos of the world is challenging your faith. And it tells you that he is working all things together for the good of those who love him. He knows what he is doing. And it is the best possible way for it to be done. Wow. Think about that. It's God's wisdom is the best possible way that it can be done. We have our plans in our own lives. Stuff that we're messing with and dealing with and trying to grow through. And we cannot see how in the world this could be the best way. But God's wisdom, you must trust, is the best possible way for you. For you. Now here's where it gets neat. Wisdom in the Bible, when we're talking about God's wisdom... 
isn't just his operations and the execution of his abilities and his skills, but it's actually a person. Now, what does the scripture say about this? Let's consider you on the board the person of wisdom. Wisdom as a divine person in scriptures is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is wisdom. Chapters 1, 8, and 9 of Proverbs employ and use the word wisdom to refer to the Messiah, not just in a way of personifying uh, an aspect or attribute of God, like sometimes in the Old Testament the Bible refers to uh, Jehovah as uh, the one and holy Lord, right? That's who he is. He is the one and the holy Lord. And this is how the, the word wisdom here is referring to Jesus. It's actually referring to the Messiah as being, in fact, the embodiment of all wisdom. Both when, when the Bible talks about the Holy One of Israel and it talks about wisdom being the, the, the Messiah, they both are communicating the idea that their essence is the perfection of these things. Now, we have some New Testament scriptures on the board. And what's neat about these is they begin to unfold for us that in God's execution of His ability, of all of His power, of all of His knowledge, Christ is articulated as being that wisdom. Go to let's let's pass out some scriptures here. Uh, Brother Aaron, we'll work clockwise this time. Brother Aaron, Matthew eleven nineteen and twenty five through thirty. You're going to read those. And Brother uh, AJ, you do Luke eleven forty nine. And Isaac, you got First Corinthians one twenty four and thirty. And Levi, you get uh, Colossians two three. This is the New Testament's. Um, Warrant, you could say. It's sanction of what I'm articulating here. Uh, it's not me just going to Proverbs you know, 1, 8, and 9 and saying, well, see, Christ is wisdom, and this is my interpretation of Proverbs. No, this is the New Testament's looking back on the Proverbs and giving us warrant to understand that Jesus is wisdom. He is the full ability of the perfect knowledge and the perfect power of the triune God to govern and to rule and to create all things. Listen to this beautiful testimony of our Lord Jesus. Go ahead, Brother Aaron. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous, and a wine-fiber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified in her children. Jump down to 25 through 30. At the time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it is seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of thy, my Father, and no man knoweth the Son, but the Father knoweth but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Come unto me, all ye that labor 
and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall be find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You hear in that witness of Christ, you hear the uh, testimony of Christ and the acknowledgement of Christ of the intimate relationship between Him and the Father and what He shares, He receives from the Father. This is denoting His uniqueness as the only begotten Son of Jesus. While we are all, we're going to be talking about this in the sermon today, children of the Father. We're called many times the children of God. Uh, We're not the same as Jesus' unique status right here. We're invested in Jesus, our Savior, who went to the cross and died for our sins, invested in Him, is all God's wisdom. The triune God's wisdom. He is, uh, think about this, and we're going to see this in the other passages here in a moment, um, cooperating with the divine essence in executing all the power and the knowledge perfectly. That's Jesus. That's no other man. No other religious figure in the world can claim this wisdom and be called and rightfully wear upon his vesture the title wisdom. Who had uh, AJ Luke eleven forty nine? Therefore also said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they shall slay and persecute. This is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the foundation and the cornerstone of the church who sent what? Teachers, prophets, evangelists in the perfect wisdom that he possessed from the Father. This is what this is communicating. We see that also in Matthew. Uh, Brother Aaron, I missed that one. Brother, uh, Brother Aaron, tw- verse, chapter 23, verse 34 of Matthew communicates that same thing. Where it says, wherefore, behold, I... This is wisdom speaking. This is Jesus speaking. I send unto you prophets and the wise men and scribes and some of them ye shall kill and crucify. Isaac, you have 1 Corinthians 1, 24 and 30. Now that there is that Isaac is a more clear testimony and witness. What the other ones do, if you exegete them and you look at them, they are communicating Christ's wisdom. That's right there on the surface, right? I mean, a five-year-old can read that and see that Christ is given to us as the wisdom, the express wisdom of God, embodied in a man named Jesus. What about Colossians 2, 3, Levi? Isn't that a beautiful verse? In Jesus is hidden all the treasures of wisdom. That cannot be said of anyone else, beloved. Listen how, let's all turn together to Proverbs chapter 8. I was saying that these New Testament scriptures were interpreting this person that's being spoken of in Proverbs 8. Um, and I, I, I believe we, we could go to other, a lot of other places in the New Testament um, to demonstrate that, that Jesus is the wisdom that's being spoken of here in Proverbs 8. And with that uh, nail fastened down 
good in our minds, let's go back here to Proverbs 8 and just read what it says about this person, wisdom. Let's just start with verse 1. Doth not wisdom cry and understanding put forth her voice? Now, immediately, I don't want to get on a rabbit trail, but somebody goes, oh, well, man, that's talking about a woman, you know. Well, this is a genre of the Bible that's putting forth an understanding of a truth, and you can't get caught up and say, oh, that's really talking about a literal woman, all right? She standeth, this person, wisdom, in the top of the high places, by the way, in the places of the paths. Understanding that wisdom is Christ. You see here in verse number 2, wisdom is standing in the top of the high places, by the way, in the places of the path, and crying at the gates, at the entry of the city, at the coming in, at the doors. Unto you, verse 4 says, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of man. Here is this general proclamation, this general cry of wisdom, this general cry of Christ unto all the nations of the truth of who He is and the gospel that He offers. O ye simple, understand wisdom, and ye fools, be ye of an understanding heart. Hear, hear, for I will speak of excellent things, and the opening of my lips shall be right things. For my mouth shall speak truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. Beloved, this is Christ. Verse 8, all the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing forward or perverse in them. They are all plain to him that understandeth, and right to them that find knowledge. Receive my instruction, Christ is saying, and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. You hear an attribute of God in that. And here's where this proverb begins to really show that this person that's wisdom is in fact equating themselves with deity. Look at verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil pride and arrogancy in the evil way, and the forward mouth I do hate. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. By me kings reign and princes decree justice. By me princes rule and nobles shall, uh, I'm sorry, nobles even all the judges of the earth. I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. You hear verse 17, an offering there. An offering of one's love and one who are seeking to receive Him. This is, a, this is an offering of salvation that Christ is sitting forth. Some of your study Bibles, I know our pulpit Bible references John 14, 21, and that's a, good, that's a good place we could go from here. But listen, this shift in the proverb begins to heighten, amplify even more this aspect of wisdom uh, equating Himself with deity. Riches and honor are with me. Yea, durable riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yea, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I lead in the way of righteousness in the midst of paths of judgment, that I may cause those that love me to inherit substance, and I will fill their treasures. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of His way, before His works of old. You hear the eternal tenor in that verse that can only be mentioned 
of the Lord Jesus. I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning, or ever the earth was. Here you hear that relationship between Christ the Son and God the Father in His cooperating in the creation of all things. This is Christ. This is wisdom. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no fountain abounding with water, before the mountains were set or before the hills was, I brought forth. While, listen, the wisdom is saying, I brought these things forth. I've created these things. I, I, I participated in the bringing forth of all of these things. And we know the witness in the New Testament, we could go elsewhere, points to Christ that in Him and through Him all things, what? Were created and find their substances and they exist. Verse 24, before the mountains were settled, before the hills was, I brought forth, while as yet He had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world. When He prepared the heavens, I was there. When He set a compass upon the face of the depth, when He established the clouds above, when He strengthened the fountains of the deep, when He gave to the sea His decree that the waters should not pass His commandment, when He appointed the foundations of the earth, then I was by Him as one brought up with Him, and I was daily His delight, rejoicing always before Him. Picture Christ, church, in this. Rejoicing in the... Uh, uh, habitable parts of his earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. Now therefore hearken unto me, O you children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. Hear instruction. Christ is calling you today. Hear instruction. I am all wisdom. And be wise and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me. You're hearing echoes of the, the manifestation of this wisdom echoed in the New Testament in the teachings of Jesus over and over again. Blessed is that man that goes his own way. No, that heareth me, Christ watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. And we all say together, Amen. This is Jesus. And by way of application, you see in the board, what do we do with all of this understanding of God's wisdom? Being channeled in the perfect God-man, second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, executing the perfect skill and ability of everything the Father has given Him. Beloved, that is our Savior. That is who we are here today, falling on our face before, saying, you are so worthy. You are so powerful. Oh, you know what is best, Christ, for me, in my situation, for my family, for my marriage, for my parenting, so forth and so on. I hush my lips and I worship you, O sovereign Savior. This is the application that comes first and foremost when we come to the next hymn. And what's the church's one foundation? This perfect wisdom of Christ. Brother Mark, when we get our eyes off the wisdom of Christ and we start allowing the wisdom of the meta-modernist or the re-modernists to come into the church, Guess what? The foundations will start to erode away. And beloved, 
We are in a very serious situation in the modern church context because this is what's occurring. As the modernists are searching for answers, they're realizing there's something more to the human existence. They are beginning to create a different wisdom that's based upon a different foundation. You don't believe me. Just talk to Brother Colin during the break time. And he'll tell you that some of the Christians that he, the professing Christians he's been talking to, deny original sin. Now, where do you think that concept comes from? Beloved, it doesn't come from the wisdom of Christ or His Word. This is a manifestation of people who are grandchildren of postmodernism have been infected by metamodernism knowing there's something more to their existence than what the postmodernists have told them. They identify something with Christianity they like, but they don't like the wisdom of Christ. And so what do they do? They come into the church. They begin to change the message of Jesus. They begin to change the message of the Father. They begin to change the church itself. And the next thing you know, there's a cross on the steeple But if the Apostle Paul were to go in there for wisdom himself were to come and sit down, they would say this is a foreign place. This is a foreign place. They are not anchored to the wisdom of my word. They are not concerned about going through my wisdom and seeing what thus saith the Lord. I counseled Brother Colin this week in his interaction with that man. I said, Brother, simply go to that person because you don't know, going back to Isaiah 18, what nation if I may use that term, that brother's from. He could be a really deceived, you know what I'm saying? One of God's elect. And you're in his life to say, and this is how you're going to tell, brother, and all of us in here today, when you run into those type of situations, lay forth wisdom before them. And when you get some resistance, just simply say, you know what? I will never claim to have the mind of God and know all things. But I will say, I am open to the truth of His Word. And if you would afford me the opportunity, maybe during lunchtime, or I could come into your house in the evenings, and we could walk through God's Word. We can get, when the modern technology we have, lexicons, I use these in my study all the time, lexicons, commentaries, so forth and so on, to help us understand the Hebrew and the Greek. You see, if that person says, no, 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 I'm not really concerned with all of that, you know, then you know, right there, you have a false convert. You know that person really does not and is not interested in wisdom. Wisdom has never revealed himself to that person. And so, what do you do then, brother? You pray, you lift them up to the Lord, and you ask Him for discernment and wisdom for when they come back again and possibly talk to you. But you see how, just at the end here, an application of, oh, church how we ought to love and worship wisdom. How, as you see in the second application, when wisdom is speaking through His Word. Now, young ones in the church, I know that pastors can get long-winded, but you're talking about wisdom who created you. Wisdom is personified and revealed right here in His Bible. And so I don't care who's speaking the truth. Whenever the Word of God, it's your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your pastor. When this Word is opened up, oh, are you listening? Are you listening to wisdom speak to you? What was my third one up there? I don't know. (laughs) Wisdom helps in evangelism. You heard it in the Proverbs chapter 8. The metamodernist created in the image of God still has a conscience, right? And wisdom speaks to that conscience and puts the finger right on the pulse of what 
needs to be pushed. You ran into that, brother. I'm just using, I'm, the Lord Providence is using your uh, situation this week. You were pressing the, the buttons with that atheist. And what were you doing? You were appealing to his conscience. How do you, if you have no standard of the truth, how do you know? How do you know? And his conscience is why he would say, well, I just don't believe that it's wrong to hurt other people. If you don't have any objective standard of truth, if there is not a creator above you, there is nothing stopping from unbridled violence and immorality. Nothing. It's one man's opinion versus another. Well, that's it. God's wisdom. It's awesome. It's his, Amen. Yeah. It's his skill and ability. Oh, and the, the person of Christ being all that wisdom. Uh, that is, beloved, who we're here to worship this morning. That is who we're to proclaim to the world, who is, in a large degree, searching. Let them search. I searched. Sit down. Go through the Scriptures with them. Reveal to them wisdom in the Bible. Give an answer for the hope that lies within. This, beloved, this generation is hurting, mad, angry. They have been shortchanged by postmodernism. And we have the light of the truth. Let us be wise. And let us be careful. And let us go out and begin to make disciples. Amen? Alright, let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we, at the end of these studies of Your attributes today, reflecting on Your wisdom, are so careful, Lord, in treading in these waters, for we are but mere men and women. And oh, Father, how we... Just marvel at, Lord, that which we are anchored to, Your Word. And lest we be deceived, O Father, we believe that it clearly teaches us that Jesus is wisdom. And, oh, we are here to worship Him. We are here today because of Him. And we fall, spiritually speaking, of course, on our faces in humility, knowing, oh, Christ, the head of all wisdom, the possessor of all perfect ability, of execution, of power, and of knowledge. We are in your hands in Christ. We plead with you. Mold us, make us, shape us. Oh, preserve and keep us for thy blessed reasons and purposes in this age, unique age that we live in. We are here for your purposes. And we ask you, come now, come now and bless and help us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's take a short break and we'll come back in a moment.